Hey friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, speaker, and Forbes blogger, and I created the U-Turn Podcast because, let's face it, every now and again, we realize that we're living life on autopilot, and it's time to wake up and make that U-Turn in your life. So prepare to go deep with some of the most transformational people I know, here to help you grow and upgrade your mindset, whether it's in work or love. Also, be sure to stick around for the end of every episode where I'm going to reflect on the conversation and offer actionable coaching insights to have a real impact on your life. In the meantime, we've opened up access to three free e-courses on uturnpodcast.com. So head on over there if you want to land a new job you love, find your purpose, or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you got to do is head on over to uturnpodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest. And it can also happen with neglect, you know, where if we have a, a deprivation of physical touch, we can grow up as very needy, very greedy for affection, and put ourselves in situations where we embrace love that, from people that are absolutely toxic and horrible for us. Mm-hmm. So when we kind of start to break down, okay, where was my, was, were my physical boundaries abused or were they neglected, and start to make sense and connect those dots and make sense of our story, we start to make, you know, make new choices so we can be more mindful of where our come from is. Hey everybody, it's Ash here and I am on the U-Turn podcast this week with Sylvie Kukassian. She is a relationship coach, a therapist focused on boundaries, attachment styles, all the things that you guys know I love to talk about and I think are so fundamental to the core of our being in our everyday lives and our relationships. And let's face it, if you are not feeling good in your heart and your relationships, whether you're dating, whether you're in a relationship, whether you're married, whatever have you, usually it trickles into your day because it's painful and that is why... I figured who better to have here than Sylvie to talk about how your boundaries can get violated, specifically four ways that they can. And before we jump into all of that, uh, Sylvie, thank you so much for making the time on your calendar to be here. I'm so excited and honored to be here, Ashley. Can't even tell you that enough. Yeah, you too. I don't. It's so interesting because I do a lot of these interviews, and I notice that sometimes I get tired before some of them, even though they're great interviews. And I've been like really looking forward to this and feeling energized at the thought of hearing whatever you have to say. So, thank Yay. you, thank you. Yeah. Well, so what what is it that got you into this? Because it sounds like you know, like most people, I think their pain becomes their message. Um, and so I'm always curious what got you into coaching and therapy? Uh, It's a million dollar question. Of course, we have to start with that, right? (laughs) Um, So as a therapist, as somebody that has been pretty focused on being able to really see and understand other people's pain, of course, there's always a dark side, you know? So for me, I was really good at doing that. I was really good at helping other people, you know, being, in, you know, inspiring them with what was going on for them. But I spent so much of my life doing it at the cost of myself and not even realizing it. I was doing it at the cost of myself and it was showing up in very codependent ways, not, in, not just in my relationships with my intimate partners, but even with my close friends. So I would, I would sacrifice so much of me and then when I wouldn't get the same thing back, I would end up feeling so resentful and I, I just didn't understand why. Mm. And so it became my mission to figure out, okay, how can I still you know, maintain this sense of giving and loving the people that I care about, but also do it in a way that uh, is not neglecting of me and my own needs and speaking up for what it is that's important for me as well. So mm. that's, how, that's how my journey collided with, um, you know, really wanting to help people with boundaries. And what do you think it is that keeps people from connecting to themselves enough to realize when they've gone t- past that point of no return? You know what I mean? Because I feel like, for example, everybody on U-Turn podcasts, you know, I, I, I think sometimes I'm not registering how many people might be listening because I just talk about my life as if I'm like talking to my mom. Right. But um, 
you know, like for me, my journey was with debt. So like losing my first company, you know, going a half million dollars into debt, being too stubborn to claim bankruptcy and paying it off. And what I realized about the debt looking back is that there's a level of denial that of myself, of what's happening for me to get into that much debt, right? Like when things weren't working in my business, I was like, maybe it's going to work now. Maybe it's going to work now. And there's like that fine line between hoping and denial. And I think that like, you know, for me, $100,000, maybe that's a certain level of denial, but to get to 500,000, it was like so much denial and not connecting to myself. And I think that's kind of a reference for people with their own boundaries where like they don't really realize when their gas tank is like running low until it's empty. And so I'm curious to understand like what's going on there when you feel like you all these years of your life, um, it was more difficult for you to realize that because I've always been like the boundary queen over the years. Um, and my friends come to me for this. So I'm curious to hear from you what you're seeing. Well, you, you hit something really powerful, which is the common thread when people finally figure out, oh my God, I need to have boundaries around myself or my relationships or what I'm going through. And it's that piece about, you know, I usually take some kind of wake up call or a breakup or an incident of cheating or hitting something that's so deeply wounding. That's, you know, that rock bottom feeling that alerts us, okay, that there's a danger. There's something that is really essential that we need to look at. Because the reality is if we've been like a tea bag that's been, those boundaries have been violated and we're, we've been dunked into that, into that experience, we can't see that we're violating it. So for example, you know, my family, we immigrated to the United States when I was four years old from Syria and Saudi Arabia. And we were all about survival. You know, my, my parents left their entire um, support system. They left everything to, you know, get me and my sister a fresh opportunity to be able to have the potential to, to live, you know, healthy and productive and meaningful lives. But of course, everything has a cost, you know, they had to give up, you know, a lot, we had to lose a lot of that emotional connection and ability to emotionally regulate because there was so much of, okay, let's get food on the table. Let's make sure that the, you know, the kids are in school and let's make sure that we just have the essentials. And in the culture that I grew up with, you know, when we're in that survival mindset, a lot of things get neglected. And, you know, again, I say this, my, my parents did the best they could and I adore them. And one of the things that I struggled with, I was an extremely sensitive child. I identify as a highly sensitive person, HPSP. Mm-hmm. And so it's really hard when you're in that survival mindset for your parents to really get that, those kind of needs. And so for me, um, the biggest boundary for me that I, I didn't realize how much I needed was that emotional emotional comfort. And you, I actually love that you brought up HSP because I've not heard anybody on the U-Turn podcast bring that up, but I have friends who identify as that. Can you explain a little bit about what does it mean to be a highly sensitive person? Because I think there's a lot of people that don't realize that this is something for them and maybe there's some reading that they can do. Sure. And there's definitely, you know, it's a spectrum. There's varying degrees of it, but highly sensitive people tend to get very stimulated very quickly. They get overwhelmed very fast. So, um, let's say somebody's venting to them about something and if they're not, if they're not in the good space, they can, you know, maybe shut down or just, they can't take a lot of, uh, stimulation. Um, I need a lot of alone time. I need to process by myself. I can't do a lot of social things because it's, again, it just, I get very, very overwhelmed. And for me, it's more, um, the emotional content that can overwhelm me. So I've had to really learn to expand my window of tolerance, but also really honoring where my limits are as part of the healing for that, you know, so it does grow and, you know, sensitive people can build their tolerance, but a big part of what helps to heal it is to honor the limit of where you are and nurturing that space before you can, you know, stretch that. So it's just being, you know, being really aware that there's nothing wrong with you. It's just, you tend to, you know, you're, you tend to be attuned to things on a much deeper level than most people. And it's essential that we, you know, we take care of that for ourselves in order to function. It's not even just want to, it's like you, you will not function if you don't. Mm. And, you know, I know that you work on attachment styles, like before we even get into boundaries, I'm so curious, um, 
like I myself, so I have been in secure relationships and I've had a very secure attachment and then I've also waffled in anxious attachment. So those of you who haven't listened to any of the episodes on attachment styles, um, like I know we did an episode with Nora DeKaiser. She talks about it. It's a great one to tune into as well. But I would love I listened to, be- to that one, by the way. And it's oh. absolutely fantastic. Yeah, she's she was great. And I'm so curious. I know that you have so much to say about this. Like for everybody listening, like what is your um, kind of like just take on the four attachment styles for everyone who might be maybe didn't listen to that episode or they're taking some notes now? Oh, man, the, the attachment styles is the meat and potatoes of my work. So when we're in therapy school, we're trained in so many different lenses, whether it's solution focused or um, how our social constructs shape the way we see the world. For me, what was the one that struck the biggest chord was the attachment styles, meaning how we um, bond and connect and attach to our primary caregiver, which is our mother or our father or an uncle, but whoever was the person that was in charge of emotionally regulating us, that dynamic gets recreated in adulthood. And so, of course, who we are in a relationship with affects us. There's a, This is all on a spectrum. But if we had more of an inconsistent emotional response from a parent, we tend to be more anxious. If we had a parent that was not tuned to us emotionally at all or overbearingly uh, tuned to us, we will either be dismissive or fearful avoidant. And if we had a parent that was available and really made repairs quickly and was able to just get a sense of what our needs were fairly often, then we tend to be more securely attached, which is what we want to move towards and what we can move towards if we create healthy boundaries and agreements in our adult relationships. Mm, I love how, you know, you were able to so clearly just explain right there the the tie between attachment styles and boundaries, you know, because I think uh, sometimes people think, you know, oh, there's this school of thought talking about attachments and then there's boundaries as a separate thing. But really, boundaries are in the healing of the attachment which is so beautiful to see. Um, and, and you were saying that there's four ways your boundaries get violated before we started talking uh, or recording. I mean, and those of you listening, I know you take notes. So there, she was saying it's emotional, spiritual, intellectual, and physical are the ones that I wrote down. And I'm so curious, Sylvia, to hear what each one looks like and what the healing opportunity is. So for everybody listening, like, what does it look like if your emotional boundaries are violated in your upbringing or even right now in your life? Got it. And I want to say, you know, learning about these was a game changer for me and really helped to validate why why we are so, like you said, in denial about our boundaries, but also what we can do about it instead. Um, and I want to give credit to the person that created these boundaries, and her name is Roquel Lerner, and she really specializes with uh, identifying how to understand how each of these has been laid out. So mm-hmm. I'll dive into the emotional one, which is the one that you began with. And so there's a few different ways our emotional boundaries get violated. One of it, of course, is you know not having our emotions validated. That's kind of like a a no-brainer, right? Mm-hmm. If our emotions were dismissed or not important made to be important or invalidated, we're going to tend to not prioritize or stand up for our emotions if somebody is, you know, not prioritizing them, them as an adult. We're just kind of like, oh, this is normal, even though I, it kind of feels weird that you're doing this, but this is so familiar that I don't really even realize something is happening that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so some other ways is let's say your parent relied on you a lot for emotional comfort as a child. Mm. If parents get divorced, a lot of times you'll see one parent um, making their child the surrogate, par- the surrogate uh, you know partner. So they'll vent to that child, or they'll do a lot of their grieving with you know while they're holding that child, and that child cannot tolerate such an intense experience. So what happens is, you know, part of them has to shut off Mm -hmm. internally within themselves. Mm -hmm. um, And they start to get very disconnected from their own experience. So notice they're being present for and tuning into now their parents' experience. But what that's costing them is being available and having somebody to mirror and be present for theirs. So that's huge. And that's something that's fairly common. We also call that the parentified child in therapy. Um, some other ways the emotional boundaries can get violated is if parents tell inappropriate secrets to their kids or if they start talking about sexuality to their kids when they're not age appropriate, you know, mm-hmm. or they're not giving context. They might just make a few sexual comments and the child's left wondering what the hell, you know, yeah. 
doesn't feel appropriate. And kids are smart. They can feel when something is off and when things aren't broken down in context, it just feels extremely uh, violating for a child. Mm. Um, some other ways is if nobody in the family feels their feelings, but the child ends up being the sponge. Mm. So it ends up, they end up taking their, taking all the emotionality that nobody else in the family is willing to feel. Mm. Uh, these people choose partners as adults that either are completely shut down and they end up feeling everything for them or flip side, somebody that is extremely emotional and it just becomes a very unhealthy and unbalanced dynamic. Okay, so like somebody yeah. who growing up their emotional boundaries tended to get crossed, um, whether that was like heavy reliance from a parent or comments that didn't really get explained for full processing or things that weren't age appropriate, you would say that they tend to pick partners that are emotionally shut off or are overly emotional. Is that what you were saying just now? So for the last piece, when, when the parents are not or the family is not able to feel their emotions, yeah. that's when we more often pick somebody that is either extremely shut down or very emotional. For the other stuff, that's more... Um, we, we just won't be aware of our own feelings that we might actually neglect our own as a way to just be present for somebody else, which is just a pattern. It's not something we want, but we've been trained to take on that kind of role. Interesting. Okay. I, I mean, obviously this one's like resonating for me because I, you know, everybody listening has heard me talk about how like my dad went through a lot when I was a kid and he's like the light of the room to this day. Like, and he always has been, but he's also like the dark cloud in the room, not because he's an angry person, because when he's sad, everybody can feel it because he's such a light. And, um, when he was sad as a kid, I definitely felt it. He went through a lot and I, I felt like, um, he would vent about it and I would catch that. And so I think um, for me, it was an emotional boundary where like I felt a lot and I learned to check out. And I'm curious for anybody who had this experience, like what that trauma could do for them. Because what I'm noticing now as an adult is that um, when I feel like something is emotionally too much for me, my I have like a physical response. Like my eyes glaze over. I get really sleepy. I start to yawn. Like these are things that I think a lot of people who maybe haven't gone to therapy, therapy or even have, they don't realize their body is showing them that there's trauma there too. Is there any kind of info you can give anyone listening around like maybe how they might start to physically operate when one of these boundaries are crossed? Absolutely. And I love that you mentioned the physical boundary because I definitely can see, uh, you know, we can get very sleepy or especially if we feel shame about something that we've been told, you know, like if we've been given inappropriate secrets, like that feels shame, that feels uncomfortable and almost brings up a lot of shame for the child. So anything that triggers those kind of things that haven't been dealt with as an adult, absolutely. Shame is, you know, sleepiness and tiredness is one of the one of the defenses against shame. So if we if we haven't been regulated in, in that emotion, we can check out mm. kind of numb out or you know get really sleepy definitely for me one of the ways I process I sleep I nap I need to nap it's the only thing I can do when I'm with a really on emotional overwhelm mm. and I used to sleep like a bear now I'm like okay I can as I process things it's a little bit easier but and you know the the fearful avoidant attachment style, um, I know this is kind of linking across, so I'm hoping this makes sense. And please, Ashley, let me know if I'm not so I can clarify. Um, people that are avoidantly, fearfully attached, they often felt the experience of being very used. Like So this can kind of intersect with the emotional boundaries being violated. So they're, they felt used for helping somebody else but at the cost of themselves mm. so a lot of times when i work with people that are avoidantly fearful they're you know they're afraid of being in relationships and even though on the on the surface they might be dating and they might appear like they're trying there's intuitively some awareness that like okay wow i know that as i enter a relationship with somebody there's some stuff that's going to come up that i'm really terrified of having to feel and experience so they kind of sabotage themselves because it's really hard. You know, mm -hmm. it's one of those experiences you, in order to actually get past that first stage of a relationship, you have to feel all of those feelings that were neglected and you didn't have access to, or nobody was able to help you regulate as a child. Can you mm -hmm. imagine like how hard that is to, to, you know, without having somebody, you know, be present for your painful experience. Okay. So kind of just giving everyone an overview. So I remember like the basic attachments that I learned was secure, which like you'd mentioned every, and everybody's kind of aiming for that one, right? Like it feels yes. fun to be secure. <laughs> and then 
Um, and then there's anxious, which most people are very preoccupied by love and worried about losing someone. That's genuinely what I think of when I think of anxious. Is there something that you think of when you think of anxious? Uh, you said it. They're pretty much they're they're constantly wanting to stay connected to their partner, and they'll do all kinds of things and even act out just to create that that Attachment. bond uh, with a person. Mm. Yeah. And then I learned avoidant, but I didn't really learn about fearful avoidance. So is there like two different types of avoidant attachment? Yes. Okay. So there's two types, and they're very different. They're similar in the way that they both so fearful avoidant and dismissive avoidant. They both shut down when they're under stress. They both go internal. They tend to dismiss their own needs because their needs were not prioritized as kids. Um, and what happens for fearful avoidant is they felt the experience of being used often, whether they were the performer child that had to kind of, you know, perform for the family or, um, again, like I said, maybe their emotional boundaries were violated and had to comfort the child, the parent, but they were left having to, having nobody to tend to them. So somebody that was used in that way tends to be more fearful avoidant mm. and they actually uh, are they still crave relationships more than the dismissive avoidant, but they have a lot of interpersonal anxiety when they're in a relationship with someone, again, because it triggers all of those feelings of being used in that kind of one one dimensional relationship. It was it was not for them. It was for the other person. Mm, okay, so that's the fearful avoidant is like the that's person fearful. with the parent that like maybe vented too much or shared too much. And then what about the dismissive avoidant person? What do they look like? So the dismissive avoidant is, is somebody that was left alone a lot more. So this is somebody that was not really engaged with much at all as a child, whether that's, you know, intellectually or emotionally. And so as an adult, they're like the CEO of the company. They're so self-sufficient. They can run shit like there's no tomorrow, but they just don't. They don't know how to do relationship well. They don't, you know, if their partner has needs, they don't want to take care of them. Mm -hmm. And even if, you know, they don't have that same kind of interpersonal anxiety, they can just kind of shut that off. So usually they're the ones that, unless they're really acknowledging and wanting to see their unhealthy behaviors, they're the ones that just can cut off from relationships fairly quickly and just kind of move on to another relationship and repeat the same pattern over and over again. So would you say that people who are narcissists tend to be dismissive avoidant in the first place? There's definitely a lot of crossover with uh, the similar dismissive attachment and narcissistic behaviors. Because again, I never like to say anything is ex an exact fit. Yeah. There's so much of a spectrum, but there's a lot of crossover for the dismissive avoidant and narcissistic. Well, in that know. they don't feel that anxiety or, you know, that, that desire to to be able to be present for their partner's needs unless they've done some a lot of deep healing and work on owning their own needs. Mm, well, you know me. I'm always like, well, how can I put everything into a box so that we can yeah, all just yeah. feel organized? <laughs> I love that. No, I'm all about the box. It's a little bit messy. That's good. It's, it's good that you're a therapist and you're like, all right, Ashley. So, okay. So anybody listening right now, um, if somebody over relied on you, but you still crave relationship um, or you can still th you feel a tendency to still thrive in it, it's more fearful avoidant. Whereas somebody who, you know, maybe they were on their own a lot, they're more dismissive avoidant and they don't necessarily feel like it's first nature for them to do well in relationship unless they do a lot of healing is what I kind of took out of it. And just thinking about emotional boundaries, what emotional boundary was crossed for somebody who maybe was left alone as a kid a lot is that something that a boundary that they got crossed or was it something else well that's more of a, yes so that would be more of a, a neglect so like if somebody was neglected there they just were not tended to so internally um they had in order to cope with that overwhelming feeling of being left alone they had to shut down mm. so it's it's more it's almost like whereas the fearful avoidant still has access to those feelings it still allows themselves to get more attached and because they still had the connection even though it was more one dimension one directional um the dismissive avoidant um just tends to minimize like they just tend to minimize the importance of relationships in general oh it's not a big deal even though Deep down, the deep down truth is that they want it. So they, they don't, they don't have the ability to really see how important it is to them until usually there's an, and again, a rock bottom experience where they hit some of that humanity in themselves and they actually get in touch with all of those feelings of neglect. Mm, so interesting. Okay. So spiritual boundaries being violated. I think this is, I'm so curious to hear what you say about this. 
I feel like this is happening all the time. So what does that look like when you were a kid or even right now in your life, if your spiritual boundaries are being crossed? This is this is probably the one that I want to go on top of the roof and scream and shout. Yeah. Because like you're right, it happens all the time. It's happening right now all over the world. And whew, yes, this is definitely something that I feel very, very passionate about. So, you know, there's a couple of different ways that our spiritual boundaries get violated. And our spirituality, our sense of connection to a higher power, whether that's God or source or whatever we label it, is the most profound experience we can have and it's so intimate and it's so it's so personally unique and so when when that is abused and it's it's used in a way to manipulate and bring fear it can violate our sense of uh you know our sense of connection to that experience so whether that's using the fear of god using punishment using you know threatening that god will see this if you make a mistake or um you know how coaches use spiritual bypassing yes. and you know they don't allow the person to feel sad get to the enlightenment stage before you actually get to be a human and that is one of the most damaging and traumatizing experiences that we can do to another human being you know this makes me think a lot um for anybody in like practical use around spiritual boundaries and you can correct me here because i'm not sure if i have it accurate but my sense is that a lot of people don't validate other people in communication um, so those of you listening, validation, what is it? So my take on it is if you say I'm sad, maybe the person disagrees and thinks like there's nothing to be sad about, but they can still at least appreciate or validate the fact that it's okay that you're sad or just acknowledge that you're having your experience. So what that has looked like in my friendships is like, I'm upset and somebody's saying like, it's okay that you're upset or like, I get that you're upset or I hear you. Um, mm. and I can see how damaging it is. I think a lot of the times when we grow up in families, you know, somebody might say, I'm working so hard and I'm so tired. And a lot of families might say something like, well, but look how hard everybody else is working. Oh. So there's not a lot of validation for somebody um, versus saying something like, oh, I'm so sorry that you're tired and that you're working so hard. Is there anything I can do? Or even just, I hear you, you know? Um, a lot of people tend to meet each other and say, but look at this, or but what about that? And it just completely uh, casts a shadow on somebody's truth and like the experience of where they are. So I'm curious, um, what other indicators in communication are you seeing? Like, I know that like there's an infection right now in the personal development oh, industry gosh. where it's like, be positive, be positive. It's like, you need to cry your eyes out in order to get there sometimes. Um, Absolutely. You can't get there without crying your eyes out yeah. all the time. You know what I mean? Most of the time. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. And I, I remember reading, I saw, seeing a post that you did on your Instagram, Ashley, where you actually taught people how to validate. And I was like, I love this woman. She gets it. You know, I was like, because yes, that validation is the connection. Without that, we don't have a relationship. We're literally just using each other for our own self-serving and our, our own agendas, which happens so much, you know. So I did one of those seminar experiences where you're enrolling. Have you heard, have you heard of those kind of like those MIT kind of things? Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which I'm a huge fan of, you know, all those, you know, they have an amazing intention, but I think what starts to happen in these group thing experiences is that the mission, you know, the purpose of the, the whole thing and making sure that it gets, gets to that end result gets prioritized over the individuals in that experience. And so much of the details and nuances and the humanness gets bypassed in order to get to that end result. So we have to be really, really careful whenever we're participating in any kind of group or, you know, religious or, um, any kind of group experience or coaching experience that doesn't make room for individuality mm -hmm. and differences of, of opinions and differences in emotional capacities and honoring people's limits. I mean, I could go on and on because I, I was personally traumatized doing an experience like that. And it took me a lot of therapy to heal and recover mm -hmm. from that. And so I want to protect as many people as I can. And of course, everything's, you know, we learn from everything, right? So it's like people have to, we have to all go through our, our, our learning and make our own mistakes and kind of finally get to see what boundaries are important for us. But we can do it with guidance and with boundaries. You know, I love the topic of spiritual bypassing since we're just talking about this. And I love the idea of like, how can we give everybody listening right now 
the words that they might be saying that is a spiritual bypass so that we can show them when they're crossing their own spiritual boundaries or violating their own spiritual boundaries that they're not realizing. Like, for example, I have friends that are like miserably married and they're like, but it's where our souls are supposed to do this. Or um, I just had gotten off a conversation with Lori Harder on the U-Turn podcast and we were talking about how um, we're seeing a lot of spiritual bypassing of people in the personal development world who are saying they're canceling and being flaky because their body is tired and they need to honor themselves, which is a very good thing, but also kind of tips into like, they don't show up for their commitments and they see everything as optional, even though they said yes. Um, so I'm curious, like, how can we support everybody listening or what's your take on things that people might be saying, um, where they're kind of like spiritual bypassing and they don't realize it. Well, actually, do you mean like spiritually bypassing ourselves or other people? Just so, just for me to clarify. I think keeping themselves in situations that might not work for them um, and using spiritual language to stay there. You know, like not having boundaries with themselves. Got it. Yes. And that's the biggest piece of all is the, you know, it all comes down to if somebody outside of us is creating an experience that's harmful, that's one thing. And of course that's valid, but where it gets, where we have power is taking that time to identify if this is an experience that is harmful for me. And that's why, you know, when these four different ways of the boundaries get violated for me was, it was very intellectual because I needed that intellectual piece, the logical piece, because a lot of times I wouldn't even know on an emotional level. I couldn't trust my body. I couldn't because I didn't have that awareness, but I I knew on a logical, um, on a logical perspective that this isn't right. This isn't something that makes sense to me and that feels like it's going to be honoring my human experience. Mm. And so, so I say that because we don't always know. But that's why, you know, after we get out of our toxic relationship, it's so important that we make that time to reflect on what were some of the things that I wasn't able to see when I was in it. Was I putting my partner on a pedestal above myself? Or, you know, when it comes to these kind of spiritual experiences, if you're working with a therapist or a coach, you know, is that coach or therapist validating you? Just like you said, Ashley, because without that validation piece, you are being bypassed to some goal that's outside of where you are, which is nothing to do with healing mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. I love this. It's so true. And I think people they really get caught in, you know, like violating boundary or not creating boundaries for themselves and not realizing like, you're not like growth can be painful, but you know, like, um, I think Brian, I think your partner, he told me on the episode on U-turn saying like, it doesn't, it shouldn't be painful all the time, you know, or like you shouldn't make the pain mean that that's growth for you. And I see a lot of people who are in relationships that are most of the time, very painful and Mm -hmm. they're not setting that boundary of like, Oh wow, this isn't how I want to grow or how I have to grow. And they're bypassing it by believing that that growth is so much more powerful, but because it's painful. Totally. Well, like you said, like in the self-development community, growth is such a bu- another buzzword. Well, I'm doing this because I'm growing or I'm doing this because it's stretching me. But where the hell is the stretching ever going to end? At what point, you know, because again, if we push ourselves too far outside of our window of tolerance, we will shut down. So we're not even actually taking the nutrients of that healing where we actually do grow is to do a little bit outside our comfort zone at a time, a little bit more, and then stop and process that experience. And then maybe a little bit more instead of doing a five-day transformational experience where, of course, we feel the high of it, but then we come back feeling like, what the hell just happened here? You know, mm-hmm. like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with myself now. It doesn't feel like it's actually, and again, I don't, I don't want to dismiss, like, you know, the Tony Robbins experience, and there's so many amazing experiences that are group-oriented out there, but I also think it's essential that we have the the boundaries component where people are respected and honored for having their limits. Yeah. You know, you, you said something um, about like, well, what do you do if you have a commitment, but your body is saying you're shutting down? You know, I had a couple of weeks ago, I had a session with a client and I've been very honest with my clients. I struggle with PTSD. It's something that I've been, I've dealt with for a very long time. And, um, I sometimes have to cancel sessions, even like five, 10 minutes before, because I'll have a trauma outburst. And so I, 
you know, I let them know ahead of time that this is something I struggle with, but I also make sure to incorporate it in our sessions. You know, how did it feel for you when I, you know, had to cancel like that? Yes, you've been very compassionate and sensitive about the fact that I had this trauma, but let's process what it brought up in you so then we can create a repair. You know, so then they also feel acknowledged and validated for how, you know, just because I have limitations doesn't mean my limitations don't affect people. And I think that's maybe what you're kind of talking about. Like, you can't just cancel and just act like it's no big deal. You still have obligations to people and a sense of responsibility for caring about our relationships with others. Well, definitely. And I think PTSD, I mean, that is something that is, you know, like diagnosed and something that you're processing. What I'm seeing more is a lot of people who... Like if they feel like, oh, I'm not in the mood for this today. I need to honor myself, you know, and then they don't show up for commitments. And really the ultimate issue is that they're not reflecting on their yes before they say yes and make sure that it's not a no. And of course we're all human. So there's space for the truth that, you know, there's a certain percent of the time where maybe somebody said they could do something in their body. They don't feel well or they're tired or they're overworked and they're not game for it. And that I understand. I think that that's just life. Um, But I'm noticing that right now in the spiritual space and personal development, a lot of people are like, I'm honoring my body and that means that I'm not going to come and it's becoming more often than not, you know, Uh, like more often than not, they're not showing up and I'm not hearing them say like, I suffer from, you know, like PTSD or or whatever it is. Um, But yeah, this is really interesting. And when it comes to spiritual boundaries, can you um, give everybody listening like a couple ideas of like things that somebody might say to them that feels to you like a spiritual boundary is being crossed? Like you were saying, God wants you to do this, or what other boundaries would that be? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I want to acknowledge what you just shared because I totally, I totally get what you're, what you're, what you're saying, and also how important it is to, to, um, to be able to explain to our partner, uh, to our partners, to who we're in relationships with about what's going on. You know, that's where it's like no is a full sentence. It's not always enough. You know, like we can have our boundaries, but with our close people, it's important to fill them in about what's happening, just so we can create that uh, again the repair in the relationship. So I want to validate you, Ashley, is what I'm trying to do. I right am now. down for some validation all yes. the time. I was validating my parking last night at a dinner, and I handed him the thing. He's like, "Do you need validation?" I'm like, "I need validation." all the time (laughs) and I love it's so good that you know that and I love hearing you own that because it is it's so important that we we claim those needs and again it's it's just it's so 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 important Hey, U-Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Job Offer Academy, our e-course to help you land a new job you love. So if you're sick of applying for jobs and never hearing back, and you'd like to try a free version of our job hunting course, just head on over to U-TurnPodcast.com slash job offer. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash job offer. Now let's get back to this week's episode. Well, so I'm curious, like speaking of like, I know that, you know, we can use God and stuff like that. Um, But I think I hear a lot of people saying like, we're meant to go through this. Um, Or somebody will say like, um, like I knew if I had a friend once who had a boyfriend who said he was psychic and he would use that to say like, I'm getting a psychic read that we should do this. And that felt to me like a spiritual crossing. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but there's so many different ways it shows up that I wanted to show the variety to everybody listening. Absolutely. That I agree with you. I think that is a spiritual bypass. I think it's one thing to say, you know, I'm having an intuitive experience that feels like this is a really powerful for me. What do you think about it? Let's sit with it. Let's both kind of, you know, decide if this feels right for both of us, including the other person. I mean, I've met so many people in the spiritual community where they'll literally look at me and be like, I have this feedback for you, or I have, you know, I'm getting this and they'll just give me feedback. And I feel so violated because first of all, I didn't ask, they didn't ask me for permission. And third of all, I don't want it. Like there's no part of me that's asking for that. And anytime we're presumptuous or assuming that we know better for another person's life, we are violating their boundaries. Mm. Absolutely. Their spiritual boundary, you would say. And intellectual. I think yeah. that's where the spiritual and intellectual can kind of go hand in hand because we're we're not making room for their reality. We're taking over it. 
right mm. so we are we're almost like because you're you're using the you use the, the intuition and the um you know the spiritual hit so i think mm. that kind of makes it more more of a spiritual boundary but it also invalidates oftentimes the other person's experience especially for coming at it from a very arrogant and i know better perspective you know mm. what i mean mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and yeah. kind of going into intellectual boundaries i would love to hear what that looks like because i think the easy like take on it that I would have is like that's somebody that makes somebody feel like they know better than the other person but I'm curious what else it can look like intellectual boundaries definitely perfect segue into the intellectual right yeah um, so I'll go back a little bit into how they get violated as as kids mm-hmm. so our intellectual va- uh, boundaries get violated as kids when we are not being validated for what is obviously going on. So let's say there's a major thing happening and we're kids, or let's say we have a drunk parent or an addict, a parent that's an addict, and you know they're in a state of distress, but nobody's talking about it. So as kids, we have this reality, we see what's happening, but because nobody's acknowledging it or helping us make sense of it, we start to then doubt our own reality as we grow Mm -hmm. and we don't trust our perceptions or even if you know if our if we did have ideas or um, experiences as kids or our parents tried to minimize it or try to act like oh it's not a big deal or it's so again it starts to diminish our self-trust and ability to you know we we don't want to we don't feel safe to 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 really own and take on that confidence of owning our own choices and our own creativity um so that minimizing piece the not talking about what is obviously going on and also let's say you had a parent that was a you know a hardcore republican or a hardcore democrat and all the kids had to you know take on the same thinking as the 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 one parent that's in charge and what happens to us as we grow is that we we start to take on the leader in the group we don't start to make decisions for ourselves or learn to think for ourselves we give our power away to somebody like whether that's we go to the, a lot of these coaching experience and we don't you know we we don't really think for ourselves we just take on what they're saying as the ultimate truth and i mean just imagining how damaging that is because then we are constantly violating our own boundaries and never really getting to know and getting in touch with what's really important for us and i i feel like intellectual boundaries like um like being put down i think for your intelligence like it, it, could it look mm-hmm. like somebody saying like well you wouldn't know this because this reason or what would that is that an emotional boundary do you know what i mean like be, so, tell me a little down. more can you explain it a little more yeah so like for example i think of like the marriages that are really unhappy and i and there's resentment and the husband will say to the wife or the wife will say to the husband like well you wouldn't know because you don't have this experience and i do so like somebody kind of like positioning themselves as like i'm the one that knows better yes and that you you don't know like intellectual boundary yeah absolutely. and it's also emotional right because it's like putting down the person's ability to like know for themselves i don't know yes well it's also it's contempt it's one of the yeah. government's form of uh, defenses that we use anytime like we make ourselves like you said position ourselves higher than or power over but in a way that's really putting our partner down that's like the most poisonous thing we can do in a relationship so it definitely violates their perspective perception boundary which is the intellectual piece but it's so criticizing that it actually bypasses a lot of our defenses contempt is probably then it's the number one relationship killer and there's no there's no hope like if we stay in that place our partner can't possibly win because until there's that balance of power dynamic there is no there's no relating on a on a on a kind and there's no open space for relating in a healthy way does that Mm. make sense yeah definitely and um i think like i don't know i was thinking about how you were sharing like some parents didn't provide context um, yes. So like their kids saw something and maybe the parent didn't share enough where they could create that sense of healing. Um, I'm guessing there's an emotional, you know, boundary cross there. Like a kid didn't get the information they needed to sit with an experience. But is that also an intellectual boundary? Like I want just to understand a little bit more like in the context of my upbringing, like where was my intellectual boundary violated? Because this is not something I've typically thought about. Hmm. The intellectual one is the one that most people are are most surprised by, mm-hmm. and it's the one that most people haven't didn't even know it existed. Because we you know again we tend to understand the spiritual one a little more, or the physical one is more obvious, and the emotional one is a little more obvious. But the intellectual one is our perception. And so let's say even the kids got 
the parents got divorced, but nobody talked about it. Nobody actually sat the kids down and explained to them what was happening in child language. It doesn't have to be the details. We don't have, you know, the kids don't need to know and they shouldn't know all the things that happen, especially if they're, if they're really intense. But the parents' role is to explain and to guide them, to help them if they have questions and um, to help validate the reality, whether or not that means, you know, I'm confused on which parent I want to I want to stay at or I feel really, you know, all these experiences and thoughts that they're having, having someone sit with them and validate them. Otherwise, it just kind of gets like locked and stuck inside of themselves and they don't know what to do with it. You know what this makes me think of is like, I think almost every kid has had some experience of like walking in on their parents having a sexual encounter or like seeing something like that in in school um like something that just feels like sexually confusing for them mm-hmm. would you say yeah. that that's like an intellectual boundary because maybe they don't know what's going on like i remember like walking in on something kind of like sexual when i was a kid and being really scared and not and nobody explaining to me what was happening definitely i think sexuality is one that you know most parents really struggle with helping their kids helping to know how to have that talk but I think anytime there's masturbation involved or any kind of sexual act that's really obvious, it definitely, you know, is an important opportunity to sit down with kids and explain what is happening. Because like you said, it's like otherwise we don't know what, you know, we don't know what's happening. And it can be very scary and uncomfortable. You know, what are my parents doing? Or And so... And it's different for every child. But what matters is the child's experience. You know, mm-hmm. what matters is what felt violating and not addressed and... Um, not dealt with for them you know something that happened for me is going to be very different than something that happened for you and so you know as i'm whenever i talk about these with my clients they have flashes of like certain things that pop up for them and i always say that's what's valid that's what's important and that's the thing that is wanting to come to surface and be processed because it probably wasn't acknowledged or validated and broken down to help you make sense in a way that you needed it back then. Mm, makes sense to me. Yeah, I just felt felt like such a typical thing. Like I think every kid has had an experience of like seeing some sort of sexual event happening and maybe not being able to piece it together until they had sex ed, you know, like in fifth grade or whatever it was um, in the States. But speaking of sex, physical boundaries, like This feels like the most obvious, but I'm guessing there's some insidious things about it that are not so obvious. So I'm curious to kind of hear from you what that might look like for everybody listening. Well, you're right in the sense of, you know, physical is the most obvious, but where, where I think parents don't really get how it starts to show up as young kids is, even again, if you have kids that don't necessarily like to be touched and they're constantly being forced to embrace you know, family members or people to be physically affectionate with them, you know, as a young kids. I remember even for me when I was young, I would get really uncomfortable and I just would feel like it was even people that I love. But again, if when it's not done in a way that's sensitive to the child, it can feel very disruptive. And so uh, when we start to shut down our inner mechanisms of uh, being able to say no or to even be present to what's happening in our body, it can create enormous shame. Um, of course, it can happen if there's a you know if there's a sexual advance that is absolutely inappropriate and not asked for, and it can also happen with neglect. You know, if, where if we have a, a de- deprivation of physical touch, we can grow up as very needy, very greedy for affection, and put ourselves in situations where we embrace love that, from people that are absolutely toxic and horrible for us mm-hmm. so when we kind of start to break down okay where was my was were my physical boundaries abused or were they neglected and start to make sense and connect those dots and make sense of our story we start to make you know make new choices so we can be more mindful of where our come from is yeah it's so interesting it's making me think about like that weird tipping point moment when you're a kid and suddenly it's not cool for your mom or your dad to see you naked kind of a thing Totally. Um, Absolutely. And I, and I just looking back, I think that this was one that my parents did a pretty good job. You know, like I remember me telling my mom, like, I don't want him to see anymore. She's like, okay, that sounds good. You know, and that was never an issue again. Um, but I think that it's also like some parents, some kids have the naked parent where like the dad or whatever just walks around naked and doesn't even care. Um, and I'm guessing that that is like a huge, would you say that it's a physical boundary since it's not their body that's being exposed more of like a spiritual boundary an emotional boundary? Like how would you kind of look at that one? 
So I don't have an answer to that, actually. I don't yeah. know because it's more, it's usually the physical boundaries are more touch or lack of touch oriented. Mm-hmm. And I think with, with those kind of things, it's so, you know, so much of it is how our, how our parents put things into context. Mm-hmm. You know, if we grow up in a, in a, in a village in another part of the world where nakedness is very normalized and part of the, you know, part of the routine, it's, it's probably not going to be an issue at all, yeah. you know, but growing up here where you see all your friends and like my, my friend's daddy or mommy doesn't do that. So I think it's the helping them to make sense of things is really key, but Interesting. yeah, I don't, I don't really have an answer for that. One yeah, too. no, me neither. I mean, I'm literally just thinking about like all of the weird things that I've heard growing up as yeah. a kid right now. Um, love- and what is your take? Like, do people typically have one that they feel like kind of was super violated in their childhood? Or do you think all four of these really work in unison most of the time? And it's not that one really leads for people. I usually find that there's one that leads. Mm hmm. And the rest are, you know, at different stages of our life. Um, they can come up at different things as they become violated if we're in a bad relationship with someone. And But what happens is we're more aware if, if, if we don't have a violation of emotional boundaries, if somebody violates that boundary as an adult, we'll be more aware of it. We're like, hey, 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 you just invalidated my feelings. Don't do that. Or mm-hmm. this is what I need from you to, to, to heal that. But if we've been violated, we won't even recognize to stand up for ourselves. So that's where, you know, it gets really interesting. So I would say most of the time, again, if it's like a, you know, really severe, like a rape or something really intense, of course, that's like a physical, emotional, intellectual, all those things can be inter intertwined. Um, but what I like to suggest to, you know, to people I work with is, you know, pay attention to what what is the thing that you end up feeling most resentful or angry about in your relationships. Like I know for me, for we know with my partner, his emotional stuff is not a big deal, but when I cross into his lane and I actually invalidate his perception, oh, that is a that is a no-no. And I've done it many times in the beginning of our relationship and I had to be really firm with myself to not do that because his intellectual boundaries have been you know, violated and it's so important for me to help him heal that mm-hmm. and to be a part of the healing. So I wanna say we all violate each other's boundaries and I, I wanna really own that. You know, we all have the capacity to do this. Of course, some, you know, ideally we're on the one side of the spectrum where we're not doing it on any kind of severe level, but we have to be vigilant with ourselves to be aware of believing our partner, you know, when they're, or relationships or friendships or whoever's coming to us, whether that's we're, you know, texting them too much or, you know, asking them to, to, to make time for us in ways that just doesn't work for them. We have to honor their limits and be able to vocalize that we respect their boundaries, even if it feels really unfamiliar for us and it's not our it's not our boundary that's important. So good. Gosh, there's so much here for everyone. And you know what it's making me think a lot about is like, for example, with dating, um, there have been some times where the person doesn't feel like they've crossed an emotional, spiritual, intellectual, or physical boundary, but right. I don't feel safe around them. And I realize in reflecting on it that maybe there is a way that they were talking about someone else that, you know, if that person was there, that's a huge, huge cross to their emotional boundary, you know, like the way that they're putting down their experience, or maybe it's a cross of their intellectual boundary, the way that they're putting down what they know, their intelligence. Um, Absolutely. And that feels so icky for someone to be speaking of someone in that kind of way. Of course, I could understand why that would feel really uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember like, you know, one guy in particular I dated, I used to always come home and say like, for some reason, I don't feel like I can share with him. And I realize yeah. now it's because like the way he spoke about other people, it felt like, well, I don't feel safe to share with you anything. Cause if you're going to talk about that person's intellect, why wouldn't you talk about mine that way as well? Absolutely. Um, beautiful. Like, what a beautiful conversation. I'm obviously everybody's going to want to find you. Guys, she posts such great stuff on Instagram. I am always looking at the things that you're posting. You post such good graphics to compare oh. situations. So tell everybody where can they find you. Thank you, Ashley, for your lovely words. Yes, yeah, yeah. so Instagram is my main platform. I, I post relationship-oriented content daily. So it's at Sylvie Kukassian. I probably don't want to spell it here because it's a long one. but Do it. <laughs> 
It says S-I-L-V-Y-K-H-O-U-C-A-S-I-A-N. And me and my partner also created a boundaries program in specific to help with all these things that we've been talking about, but also we created lots of scripts to help you with language on how to actually own your boundaries and how to have consequences if people aren't honoring your boundaries and all that good stuff. Oh, so helpful. Thank you again for making the time to be here. It's such a great conversation. So welcome, Ashley. I'm so honored to be here. Hey guys, it's Ash here just reflecting on the episode with Sylvie and I just thought it was really powerful for her to be able to draw these four boxes of different boundaries that we get violated um, when we're kids and throughout our life. And I heard a quote recently and I don't know where it came from, but somebody said to me in a conversation, they said they think grief is just love that doesn't really know where to go. And I think that when our boundaries get crossed, as kids because maybe we don't know how to communicate, maybe we don't know what we need. And a lot of the times we figure out what we need through context. We we find out what we need because we didn't get it. Um, There's so many times where I'm trying to figure out what someone's core values are. And in personal development, we're told that if we feel uneasy or our nervous system is not being regulated or we just feel out of whack, that that's usually an opportunity for us to look at ourselves and grow and question, you know, whether there's an area or a belief that we're buying into. So, you know, in personal development, we're so encouraged to turn back to ourselves. But what I'm learning is that sometimes when we don't get what we want or when we feel triggered or dysregulated, what it really is about is that a core value that we hold very high isn't being met or that something inside of us is being crossed. And it's through that context of feeling dysregulated or off that we're able to realize that maybe we have a need or maybe something that we hold is very sacred has been violated. Um, For example, maybe you had a tiff with somebody and um, you realize after you look at that tiff that the reason that you were so upset is because Um, you felt like your security was violated or your freedom was violated or your your value for balance was violated or your spirituality was violated. A lot of the times when we feel unrest with someone, it's an opportunity to look at ourselves and see where we contributed to that. But there's also a lot of times where it's just feedback that we have a core value that isn't working. And that exists also in the workforce. You know, maybe you feel really upset about something at work and maybe you're going into a story that it's you that had caused that thing. But maybe the reason you're upset is because you actually have a core value that's so important to you that's been crossed. And if you can really ask yourself, what is this really about? You can find that nugget. Um, and if you don't know what your core values are, I have a core values guide at uturnpodcast.com slash core values. Um, and that's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash core values. Full disclosure, I think my brother and I set up some sort of email sequence, um, like offering you some sort of training or guide. Everything we have is great, but, um, sorry in advance if you don't want that stuff, but at least you can get the core values guide. Um, But honestly, I just think that knowing your core values are such a key ingredient for your career and your life. And a lot of the times when we feel our boundaries are crossed, it's really that a core value has been crossed. And so it's such an opportunity when you feel unregulated to ask these bigger questions to yourself. Um, And like I said, I'd have a conversation recently with somebody and the words that they said to me was that grief is just love that doesn't know where to go. And, you know, when you really think about that, it's like, in our, whenever our boundaries are crossed, we have so much grief. And um, I think that when you really can look at that grief or look at that anxiety that you feel, it's such an opportunity to love yourself and, and give that grief uh, a home and meet it with love. And, um, you know, I know that I'm rambling, but I just have so much so much emotionally that I feel after this episode thinking about boundaries. And I I just was in the Middle East a couple months ago on a group trip and all these people on the trip really opened up and really went deep and really shared and were vulnerable with each other. And one woman said to me 
on the last day of the trip, she feels her armor coming back on so that she can go back into the world. And that so deeply sat with me. Um, and I just got into the question of why, what do, why do we put our armor back on? What is it about our environment, about our world, about what reality we're co-creating that moves us to put armor on? Like, what is it about that situation that we're in in life that makes us feel like we can't keep our guard down and stay vulnerable? Um, so if you're in a reality right now where you feel yourself putting armor on, maybe it's when you go to your family's house. Maybe it's when you see a certain friend. And, and also, alternatively, you notice when you see other friends, you don't put your armor on. You feel like you're very vulnerable. Your guard is down. Um, my invitation is to start to pay attention to what is it uh, that you're believing about the situation or what is it about your history with that person or that family unit that makes you want to put your protection, put your emotional armor on before you walk through the door? Has a boundary been crossed? Has a boundary been violated for you? And what does that tell you about your core values? Uh, and again, if you're stuck in a cul-de-sac with this, head on over to uturnpodcast.com slash core values. We have a great list and guide for you to be able to figure out what your core values are. And as per usual, thank you so much for um, giving me a review here on the Uturn Podcast. It's so powerful for me to be able to grow, um, for sharing it on Instagram, for DMing me. All of these things mean so much. It, I just can't thank you enough. And um, that is just me here signing off. Thanking you so much. Sending you a lot of love. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. We keep really detailed show notes at uturnpodcast.com. So if our guest mentioned a book or a resource that you're interested in, you'll be able to find that there. In the meantime, if you were inspired by this episode, if it made an impact in your life, we would be so grateful if you subscribed and posted a review for us on iTunes. Rumor has it on the street, the more reviews we get, the more subscribes we get, the more we can grow and get our impact out there in the world. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you at Ashley Stahl on Instagram. I'm so grateful for connecting and I look forward to next week's episode. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's going to push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcast.